0: Welcome to another episode of Adoption, The Making of Me.
1: I'm Louise Brown. And I'm Sarah Reinhardt. Make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Adoption, The Making of Me Podcast. Also, we have a
0: Patreon page if you want to support us as we continue telling these important stories. You can find that at patreon.com and search adoption colon The Making of Me. Again, that's patreon.com
1: search adoption colon the making of me and please remember to subscribe share and review wherever you get your podcasts thank you
0: okay so here we are hi louise hi sarah nice to see you again nice to see you too (laughs) as always we're continuing our march through the primal wound by nancy newton verrier And we've gotten to part two of the book, chapter five, part two, but there's Mm -hmm. a little like introduction into part two, and it's called The Manifestations, um, which is really like how being adopted, how it manifests itself later in life. And right out the gate, I thought this little introduction, you know, the little quote about the pain of adoption is something that can lie dormant most of one's life. If it erupts in childhood, adolescence, or early adulthood and is dismissed as neurotic behavior, or normal rebellion, it can subside into numbness. Mm-hmm. But it can stir malignantly in some adoptees all their lives, making them, them detached, floating, unable to love or
1: trust. Adoption has got to be understood.
0: That That's really like, made me feel so <laughs> glad that we're doing what we're doing.
1: Me know, too. Just, Adoption must be understood. I, yes. sat, I sat in um, my husband's office today before our podcast telling them all about chapter five. And the, like, he's like, wow. I've never seen you. I'm like, it's really hitting me how even in the best of circumstances, there's things that need to be understood about adoption. Yes. And how society really doesn't want to talk about them. Maybe more now, it's but a, not.
0: It's weirdly uncomfortable. I was mm-hmm. talking to a friend of mine and she has two adopted friends and like who are in her close circle. And one of them found her birth family and it wasn't an ideal situation. But so she was like, and she was really lucky to have been adopted. And, you know, I think that again, is that prevailing, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there are bad circumstances with in biological families, but it's
1: just, that's just the assumption, you know, yeah, the assumption is, and oftentimes we get into that in this chapter. It is, you are very lucky to be into the I'm lucky, 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 lucky to have my family, but you still have Things that come up, which we'll delve into in this yes. chapter, chapter five.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, a couple of things I s- really related to. Every page is something. Um, yes, But this, is you know, it talks a lot about relationships. And, you know, when one gets beneath the surface of the relationship problem, one can find some common themes. Symptoms of depression and anxiety, which reflect a sense of loss and basic mistrust, and in which in turn results in emotional problems. All of these symptoms interfere with healthy relationships and all can be traced back to the primal wound and the many ways in which it may have been exacerbated in the adoptive relationship by parents unaware of the original trauma.
1: Yes, well, they are they are unaware. And that actually was sort of, I know we're going to get to it in the chapter, but that part about where they say, you know, the mother doesn't really want to go there in her mind. I mean, mm-hmm. I know I'd feel that way. This is your baby, you love your baby. And especially back when you and I were adopted in the 60s or the 50s or 70s, even earlier, no one, they just hand you the baby and a mother's love handles all, right? I mean, right? that's what you're, and it does. They're wonderful and the love does handle But the baby's going through the grieving process. No one knows how to address that. So the mom becomes a little like, why isn't the baby so into me? And, and all babies are different and handle it differently. But I feel like... Just that whole separation right away from the mother to the next mother isn't, this is really a lot about the adopted mother
0: totally and her feelings.
1: Yeah.
0: What, what was so interesting to me, was it further in chapter five, when it talks about how the adoptee looks at the adopted mother and thinks of her, oh, well, she could leave, you know, Yeah, too. She's a potential abandoner. Yeah, um, all that's later in the It Resonated yes. for me because that, in yeah. fact, happened, you know. And you went through that.
1: Yeah. I went through that. So really, this chapter was like a... I, wing. This, yeah, me <laughs> too. That's what I was yeah. like talking my husband's ear off about it. This part I thought was interesting because I felt this, and I think this is actually a big topic with a few friends I've asked to be, oh, would you want to be on our show? And they're still like, no, no. You know what I mean? It's not... I'll open yet. this part. The taboo against talking about adoption as being different from a natural family is very strong, not only within the families themselves, but in society as whole. For instance, there were people who, when hearing about my research, wondered why would I want to rock the boat or upset the status quo by introducing such controversial ideas as infants being able to differentiate between their birth, birth mothers and their adoptive mothers. I find it revealing that none of those who objected was an adoptee. I know it's only society. They're kind of like, in fact, I have someone close to me recently who's like, oh, I just thought it was a win-win adoption, you know? And it is a win-win. Of course, it's a win-win, but it's also a loss loss. It's also, there's someone, the biological mom, no matter who she is or what goes through a major trauma. I mean, the baby goes through a trauma and the adopted mom with amazing love to give and intentions is also going through a trauma. Especially if they don't have other children, I think it's, they're they're like, not sure they talk about they don't go through the 40 weeks of all these things that prepare you and knowing the baby and, and then all of a sudden, why is the baby a little distant, you know, all this stuff, they didn't, no one ever really talked to my mom about this. I'm sure. I'm sure no one talked to her about it.
0: Yeah, it's just, I wonder with awareness. Now, I'd be interested in Mm -hmm. talking to someone who's younger. Whose parents absolutely communicated in this way about this. I mean, obviously not as a baby, but I mean, even as a baby, you could probably have said things to your they, baby without yes. knowing they maybe
1: understand. Oh, no, know, you know. And you're, and you're talking about saying things. I don't know if you highlighted this. I bet you did because we talked about the other day. Where is it? What page? The part about being special. It talked about when they use the word special you, about living up to the expectations. Oh and yeah. You and I talked about that, but they kind of dig into a deeper. So special. It is a nice, I mean, of course, cause you want to tell the baby how wonderful this is. You're home with us. You're special. And they said only one in like 50 pre- adults they interviewed, in fact, one of our guests that we recently had on, she was one of those people who she took special as. She was an only oh. child. Special, right? We got to choose you.
0: They had to get. They got what they got. Yeah, that, they actually that said that in thing. there. Yeah, and yeah. It's really <laughs>
1: special. And I thought of her, but then the other people, maybe you and I. I know that I had this. Why am I so special? Like there was that feeling of special makes you an overachiever in the family to please. You don't want to rock the boat. So you're always trying. You're like, special I mean, means, well, I better not mess up also.
0: Right. Which or. Yes. There's a, you know, that's an either kind of an either or because that either certainly or. wasn't the case for me. I was.
1: No, but that came later at the beginning. I think where we were pleasers, then the adolescent part is when you start to reject right. that, which I thought I thought was just really they really delve into that. And how almost all people have the same banter with their kids, which is so fascinating. Yes. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. What else did you find?
0: There is so much. This I just thought was so touching. This woman saying, this is a quote by, of an ad- adoptee. I'm adopted. You wouldn't know it to meet me to all outward appearances. I'm a writer, a married woman, a mother, a theater buff, an animal fanatic. Yes, I can pass. Locked within me, there is an adopted child who stirs guilty and ambivalent even as I write these words. The adopted child can never grow up. Who has ever heard of
1: an adopted adopted adult? Who's ever heard of an adopted adult? I know, it's just... uh, Well, because you're supposed to just move on. I mean, in society, I think people look at it as you just, you know, it's interesting. My own brother never really thinks of me as being adopted. And because of this podcast, we've talked a little bit more and he's like, Oh, I didn't know you felt that way. Like, I've never asked you that you might. And that makes sense now. Like how, I mean, just these conversations starting is like, society is just kind of like, oh, you're fine. You're with this family. It's just, and you are fine.
0: They addressed this on that. This is us in an episode oh, yes. a couple of weeks ago, this exact conversation between the two brothers and the non-adopted brother was saying, well, you should feel lucky that you got into this family, you know, and that, again, that's just that prevailing thought,
1: then you do feel carry around this guilt. Well, I should be grateful and I should be. I am like, I'm grateful, but I'm kind of not fitting, or I want to be this, or I want to be that. Like your, your start, they talked a lot about how. You can be
0: both grateful. Yes.
1: And those feelings
0: can coexist.
1: You're allowed, you're allowed to explore, love both families. You're, that's the whole thing. there shouldn't be this overlaid pressure. And I think that just comes from society. I just thought it was interesting how society was mad at her for writing the book. The woman who wrote the book, she adopted a child and she brings her daughter into it frequently. Mm -hmm. So she's not coming out from just a clinical overview. She's coming at, this is, you know, I'm exploring my own thing. Yeah. And I think I just, it'd be interesting to get her on the Well,
0: I know, I think that's an (laughs) ultimate goal of ours. Right. Crack her down. (laughs) Um. There was one thing Uh, I just saw. It has been shown that regardless of the intellectual reasons a child has been given for his relinquishment, there are often feelings of betrayal, anger, resentment, and sadness, which are projected onto the available mother figure. Yes.
1: With the whole projection on the mother figure, I thought it was interesting how they said most children that are adopted have an easier time with their dads, regardless if they're close to their dads, right? So their dads may not be the most like some dads. my dad was so nurturing, loving, we were very close to so you think, oh, that's father, daughter. But actually, they said, even if they're, you're not that close to your dad, it's consistent and easy. And they're not the ones that have the problem. So the child instantly feels a little bit easier going with dad, because mom is the untrusting figure. Mm-hmm. And she's taking on The, the other, the biological mom gives out the baby, the adopted mom, not even knowing this, these poor adopted moms, they've never been trained in this. They're taking on this whole thing. So a lot of biological kids, boys and girls fight with their mothers a lot more. It's interesting. Have a push and pull with their mom. very I just thought, oh, that was my mom and I, my poor mom. She suffered a lot from that because I was mean as a teenager.
0: (laughs) Throw, throw in hormones into that oh, uh, hormones this stood out to me too. being chosen, and this was another adoptee being mm-hmm. chosen by your adoptive parents doesn 't mean anything compared to being unchosen oh. by your birth mother. This feeling of being unchosen sets the adoptee up for many
1: roadblocks to normal emotional development mm-hmm. A lot of people have a very hard time with close relationships who have been adopted. They can be close to people, of course, and friends are easier loving relationships are a whole nother ballgame and Uh, you and i have both been through that so
0: yes you know know, the need to be good often causes adopted children to be to be hyper vigilant Mm. which means that they are constantly assessing the climate of the environment Mm. in order to know how to behave yes
1: okay so this is what i was going on and on in the office with my husband and he's like staring at me because he's working and i'm like oh my gosh ding, ding, ding. This thing went off in my head that I am a, and you're like this too. We're both like this huge observer of the room. Like I can read a room. And by the way, I started thinking all my friends who are adopted, I won't name them. They can read a room too. All of us. And a lot of people can, okay. This isn't just adopted people, but I can read a room. And from when I was little, I remember thinking, oh, they're upset with me or they're uncomfortable. They're not happy. And let me try to fix it. A lot of humor, I think, is deflected because they said that there's a lot of defensiveness on the part of the adopted yes. child. And yes. I was very defensive as a kid. But humor is my, instead of being defensive, I'll just be funny. And like, and you can read a room, right? You can totally sense like, I'm always is observing, a safe place? is it safe? Is this, yes. Do I need to leave? Is it scary? And even, yes. even now, even now I'll walk into a party and be like, you know, having those feelings. That's why I think we both have some anxiety and that, you know, totally. Yes. That's yeah. I'm curious to do a poll on people. So at the very last thing, because this talks a lot about the adoptive mother, which I think is really nice. Cause I don't think a lot of people give like our mothers, a lot of research or credit in this, what they've gone through the last very last paragraph is interesting to me. It's very difficult for the adoptive mother of a newborn baby to take in the concept of the primal wound. It's abhorrent. It is heartbreaking. It's something she would rather not think about. And many adoptive mothers don't think about it. The Mother sees what looks like a normal baby, a baby who in many ways is normal. Later sees a laughing, happy toddler, and she can't believe that this child is aching inside. But if she's really alert, if she's truly attuned to her child, she'll notice the sadness, the pain, the fear. And so in noticing, she'll be able to help her or him and allow her to love him and for her and him to love her in return. I just think that's
0: a really. That's so, yeah. And if every adopted mother did know that and wasn't into that, that then changed the course of what Both happens. Both the relationships. You know, yeah, and exactly. And how the adoptee sees themselves. You know, of course she can't heal that primal wound, but there can at least be
1: open no, discussion about it. You can't heal. And they she did a wonderful thing. And so it's not, it's like, adoptive moms are amazing. Right. But it's like, it's just the knowing it's just the understanding. Like if you know where someone's pain comes from, you understand them better. It's just the whole thing. But I think especially and like you said, I'd like to speak to someone younger, especially in our era. It was very handsome on a baby and then off everyone goes. Yeah. <laughs> and here we are today. I'm having a And here we
0: today. are today. And we are time to wrap it up and, and get to our <laughs> next guest. Yes, we have an exciting guest and I can't wait to meet her. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Louise and I talked about it for months and we were intimidated until we heard about Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is hands down the best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple, Spotify, Google, and more. Podcasting isn't hard. Believe me, if Louise and I could figure it out, anyone can. We got a mic, some headphones, parked ourselves in our closets, and that was it. Buzzsprout did the rest. You get a great looking podcast website and you can track all of your analytics to see how your podcast is doing. So if you follow the link in our show notes, it lets Buzzsprout know we sent you and you get a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. And bonus, you help support
1: our show. So today on our show, we are going to welcome Andrea Ross, and she is an incredible author and a writer. Andrea is the author of Unnatural Selection, a memoir of adoption and wilderness. We'll let her tell you why she has that memoir. It's, it's really fascinating, her story. I, I really think I'm she's- I'm excited to have her me tell too, it. <laughs> really excited. And the reason we came to find her is because my brother, when we started talking about doing this podcast- We don't talk much about, you know, me being adopted and everything. And he sent me an article just timely two months ago, maybe. This is what no one tells you about adoption by Andrea Ross in HuffPo and in the Huffington Post. And you and I both loved it and shared it. And we thought, let's write her and see if she'll come on our show. And so so here (laughs) she is. Here she is. How lucky
0: are we? So Andrea, thank you so much for being here today. How we've been doing this is just... We kind of let you free flow with your story just, and then as things come up for maybe throw some questions your way, if that works for you.
2: Well, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Welcome. Um, and congratulations on your new this new baby that you have. Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's our second baby together, Louise. <laughs> Screen wow. truck being the first. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so true. Right.
2: Good at that. Um, and so, is there a particular <laughs> chapter of the
0: primal wound that you guys are focusing on right now? Yeah, we just talked about it, which makes me think maybe we should involve our guests in the in the in the book, but. Right now we're just here to talk about your story and like how it how it came about <laughs> your adoption. Sure. Okay. So I was born in 1967 and as you may know
2: closed adoption was the norm back then. And my parents my adoptive parents are pretty pretty liberal and forward thinking so I always knew that I was adopted. It was never a surprise. But I also never knew anything about my genetic or biological origins. Which didn't really cross my radar too much until I was in my second year of college and I got really, really sick and it was sort of oh. mysterious sickness and it took a while to diagnose and I thought, oh my God, this could be anything. And I have no idea whether I'm a ticking, my body's a ticking time bomb or, you know, I, it suddenly, it was like an awakening. Mm-hmm. It turned out to be a hereditary disease that it's a systemic inflammatory arthritis that took a long time to diagnose. But it was what launched me into thinking about like, well, maybe you know, maybe adopt being adopted actually does matter. <laughs> and yeah. so I initially called the adoption agency that handled my adoption and asked them if they could give me any information. And they were only able to give me my non-identifying information, which, is definitely an adoption term that most adoptees are familiar (laughs) with. It was, you know, three typed pages that were extracted from whatever special secret records they had. (laughs) It was thrilling on one hand to me to see finally like, oh, I'm, you know, my birth mom was fully of Norwegian extraction. So I'm half Norwegian. Like I had absolutely no idea I mean, I'm a white, obviously white, like Northern European, like that, was, yeah, <laughs> but, right. but like, you know, so it was thrilling to find out some things that made my birth family seem a little bit more real, but it was also kind of a gut punch because I was like, this is, this is what I get three typewritten pages. Like I'm 20 years old. Like this is not okay with me. All of a sudden I'd started thinking that I needed to know more. I did a little bit of research which was hard back in the dark ages before the internet. Can't even yeah, imagine. Yeah, right? Let, lots of phone calls and phone books and stuff like that. Yeah. But I found out that in I was born in Colorado and I I found out that they had a really really they're
1: really strict. They about, are. I was born in Colorado as well. Oh, really? Wow. Very strict, yes. Yes. Yeah,
2: so I tried to petition the court by telling them I had this disease that I needed to find out more about. And they're like, nope, sorry. And (laughs) and I even got my adoptive parents' blessing and we all sent letters and they were like, nope, 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 sorry. But there is this thing called the Confidential Intermediary Service where you can pay $500 and we let an independent searcher look... Through your secret special files that nobody else gets to see, (laughs) and try to track down your whoever you want to you know find,
0: and I'm a little corrupt.
1: I actually think that's that's how they went through (laughs) it for me. It's so crazy. It's like a money thing.
2: It it made me really angry. It made me. I mean, I was you know maybe twenty three or something by that time, and I was like. Wait a minute. I have to pay. At the, and then, you know, I was twenty three and I was working for eight bucks an hour or something, like five hundred dollars was a lot of money., yes. and I'm like, but that's my information. And it really, really, really made yeah. me angry. yeah. And, and to add insult to injury, if whomever they did find, if they found them, there was no guarantee, if they found them, in this case, I asked them to was going to ask them to look for my birth mother. If my birth mother did decided she didn't want to be found when she was at, you know, contacted, they would say, okay, and like close it all up. And and it would be as if it were never opened. You know, I would get zero information except that my birth mother had rejected me for the second time. And I just couldn't, I could not stomach that. So I was like, screw you. (laughs) And, (laughs) And I decided to go all MacGyver and just did like this. This, you know, DIY search, like snooping around archives and libraries and traveling to places where I thought my birth mother might've gone to school and oh, wow. my birth dad might've, you know, started a business based on my dumb three pages of probably mostly lies uh, in yeah. identifying information. And I made little inroads here and there, but not a lot. And I did that kind of poked my head in and in out of this scary research thing intermittently for about a decade. Wow. Um, wow. I, it, was just, it was really hard for me to do. It was really, it took a lot of guts that I didn't have yes. at the time. And um, so I would do a little bit and then I'd pull back and then do a little bit more and pull back. And then at that exact time, I also was working as a backcountry guide
1: which is what strangely. your book's about, actually. Right, right.
2: Yeah. So strangely, those two decades, actually, you know, those two situations or activities o- overlapped with each other almost exactly. Like the decade I spent working outside and the decade I spent searching for my birth parents. So I thought, hmm, that's interesting, uh, yeah. and I ended up writing a book about it. But to go back to my my adoption story it was after 10 years of me realizing like, okay, I can't do this on my own. They, they've really, you know, crossed all their T's and dotted all their I's and I can't find anything. So I plugged my nose and paid the 500 stupid dollars to <laughs> the confidential intermediary service. And they found my birth mother in a week. Wow. It was and, that fast. Yes. Yeah, super fast. And then I felt really dumb for wasting all that time. Um, <laughs> well maybe it was the
1: process you had to go through yeah, I, that, I think I did need the process and the right that time time I mean,
2: yeah, yeah that time I was 33 years old I mean like I was a completely Good. different yes. person
1: that's so interesting because Sarah and I both our biological families when we met with them I was 32 she was 32 you're 33 oh, wow, we're all oh, born yeah. in the same years I mean it's interesting yeah
2: yeah yeah. for me it was like right after I got married and we were starting to think about having kids you know mm-hmm. I think that apparently that's a the big time for adoptees to kind Mm -hmm. of bring up that stuff. So I was like, okay, I'm (laughs) I'm average in this way. So I lucked out and my birth mom did want to be found. And so eventually all of the paperwork and red tape got handled and, and I was put in touch with her and I called her on the phone and uh, yeah. (laughs) And it was pretty surreal. And of course I had so many questions. I wanted to know why I was the way I was. I wanted to, I wanted to look like her or her kids or, you know, whoever, and I did not get that satisfaction. I don't really look like her. I don't (laughs) act like her. (laughs) Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. So that I was like, wow, well, and how did I get to be the way I am? You know, I didn't have that, like, I have found you moment, you know, where I'm like mm-hmm. now I understand exactly why, you know, I, my eye twitches on the left or whatever, you know. <laughs> but it, nonetheless, it it did fill it filled an empty spot that was just really painful. CF the primal wound, right. <laughs> and, uh, but just in a different way than I thought it would.
1: We talk about that how there's that you don't even know it when you're, like you said, when you're a kid, you go through your life, but you're, there is something like a, the glue that's between the fabric yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's
2: just kind of like scratching an itch you didn't know you had. Or exactly. Exactly. Are, you in, are,
1: you, are you still in touch with her?
2: Your biological yeah. Role? So um, we've been in reunion for about 20 years now. Wow. I feel really lucky because I hear that, that reunions don't, often last past about eight or 10 years just because it's it's unnavigated territory we don't have a word for who these people are in our lives our relationship we have to like forge all that ourselves. it's a ton of work you know that if you it sounds like you've done it yes a lot of work and it's really painful work and there's a certain amount of like tenacity I think that it requires on both people's parts and so if one person isn't tenacious or isn't interested, then it will fall away. And luckily, that hasn't happened for me. Although it might after my book was published. I don't know. <laughs> we're, exce-
1: we're, we're waiting for our books to arrive, and I can't wait through. I'm like, I want to hear the whole... So did your adoptive parents meet your biological mom? Yeah. So let's see, probably
2: less than a year after I first like spoke on the phone with my birth mom, my birth mom and her husband and my half-sister flew out to California to meet me and my husband. Were they still
0: in Colorado? No, they were in Indiana. Yeah.
2: Okay. Her, her husband was from Indiana so they moved to Indiana. So actually we were living in Davis at the time and so they came to Davis and then we drove up to Chico a couple days later and like I I introduced my mom to my mom and I was like, "Oh, that's
0: interesting." It was just
2: mind-blowing. I was just like it was really weird. It was just too surreal for me to handle. I was just like, I need to check
0: out. (laughs) Yes. I would, I would feel the same way.
2: Yeah. It was, it was a lot. And I mean, to their credit, both my mom and my birth mom, you know, knew that it was a big deal for me. Of course they knew it was a big deal for them, but they're like, are you okay with this? Are you sure? You know? And so, yeah, they have met. And then I did go on to meet my birth dad a few that years That was later. going to be my
0: next question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and also the circumstances by which you were adopted, why you were given up for adoption.
2: She was 17 or 18. Mm-hmm. She was, I think she, she was in her very first year of college when she found out she was pregnant. And I don't really know the whole story, but it sounds to me like her parents decided what she was going to do. Wow. She went to live in the Florence Crittenden home. For unwed um, mothers in Denver. She, I know exactly I know where that is. That's so crazy. <laughs> and uh <laughs> um, it's still there. Yeah, and lived there for I think it's not there anymore, actually. No. Lived there for four or five months and then went to summer school because I was born, well, it's my birthday next week, actually. So wow. I was born at the end of May. Mm-hmm. So she just like right at the end of the school year, she just she went to summer school for the summer and like caught up and it bop boom, you know, like was back on track. With her life, and she had been dating, I guess, my birth dad for a while, but he also got somebody else pregnant.
1: Oh, that's like that's like my family. Really? Oh my gosh! Very similar.
2: So, yeah. So um, he had to marry the other girl because she got pregnant first, I guess. Oh, <laughs> and I, I shouldn't be laughing. It's.
1: well I mean they're young people now that we have our own children you're like oh they're very young I mean
2: yeah there's yeah exactly like mistakes were made right yeah so he got married young to the other pregnant girl and so I had a sibling who was almost my exact age Wow. which I thought was really you know when I I learned that actually in my non-identifying information and I that was also mind-blowing like Wow, I mean, I assumed I probably had half siblings out there somewhere, but not one who was born you know two months earlier than me. Um, have
1: you met that sibling
2: or you? yeah, eventually, my birth mom gave me my birth dad's name, and you know when you have a name, it's a lot easier to find a person. yes, <laughs> you don't have a name, so I found him really easily, and he too was was happy to be found, although he said he didn't know I existed. Oh. Was that true? I don't know. Huh. <laughs> My birth mom says, "Oh no, no, he came with me to get the test done." <laughs> so somebody's having some selective memory, yeah. Which you know makes sense to me. It's like all of that is just—that's a whole lot to handle if you're 18 or 20 years old. Yeah, yes. So anyway, so he had two sons born to him. And so he was stoked to have a daughter
1: <laughs> Aww.
2: Um, and I am a little bit more like him. Like we're both really into the outdoors and stuff like that. Although, you know, he's more of like the hunter fisherman kind of person. And I'm more like the not hunter fisherman.
1: Yeah. The- <laughs> <laughs> Hiker appreciation.
2: <laughs> yeah. But we do share, like, you know, like I, I've gone hiking yeah. with him and stuff. So then I ended up meeting him about maybe about a year after I found him and he like threw a big barbecue with every relative he could find. Wow. So my husband and my, I think my son was probably five at the time. The three of us drove up in our little rental car to his yard and it was full of more blood relatives than I'd ever seen in my life.
1: Wow. Uh, How was by that time, experience?
2: Yeah. I mean, I was probably... Well, I was over forty by that time, I think. So that was pretty intense.
0: Where did Where did
2: he live? <laughs>
1: he lived in this in the same area,
2: as the same area where he grew up and where in they Colorado. Met. Yeah, in northern Colorado. Okay.
1: Yeah. So and was everybody in the family? Were they excited to meet you? And
2: how I was think that? So I mean, everybody <laughs> was really nice, and and nobody was mean to me or anything. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how they really <laughs> felt. Right. But, you know they. It it was really good to meet them and and stuff.
0: Was he still um, married to the same woman? No,
2: as you might guess, that marriage did not last long. Figured,
0: but you never know. They're so young, uh, <laughs>
2: yeah. So then he got married not too much after that and had a second boy.
1: Oh, so the boys are half brothers too. They're half brothers. Yeah, yeah. Were you an only child growing up?
2: No, actually, I have two brothers who are younger than me and one is adopted and one is not adopted. Oh, that's interesting too. Yeah. So the brother who is the closest in age to me was adopted. So my parents were like having trouble getting pregnant and then, and so they adopted some
0: kids and then they got pregnant. Boom.
1: Yeah. That's what happened
0: to my parents. Yeah. (laughs) But my mom got mar- got pregnant with twins when my brother was five months old. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Only there were four when <laughs> there'd only ever meant to be two. <laughs> wow.
1: Um, that happens a lot. But we're finding that's interesting. Yeah. Your biological
0: brothers, how are those relationships?
2: Well, my brother, my birth mom has two kids besides me. And one is a girl and one is a boy. Although we're all grown up now, so we're men and women, I guess. But right. um, so, Erin, my sister is she's a good eleven years younger than I am. But she and I are pretty close. Oh, that's we cool. really enjoy each other. My half brother Mike, her brother, is a couple years younger, and he's plenty kind and and stuff. But we don't really, you know, we don't like keep up or anything. I mean, yeah. he invited me to his wedding and stuff like, so I'm in their family, but we don't like, you know, hang out and chat and stuff. And I would say that the same thing is kind of true for my birth dad's sons that, I mean, we're friendly, but you know, we don't like seek each other's company. Out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: it's a whole, it's like meeting, yes, they're your siblings, but they're new people in your life. Like if you're going to bond or. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's. And-
2: you know, and like I just was barging into their life, you know. <laughs> I'm like, hi, I'm here, you know. Yes. <laughs> like, so
1: we've talked yeah. about that, Sarah and I, because I I didn't not find my biological father's side, but I know a lot about them because now you can look things up. Mm. And and I'm like, I don't think they know I exist either because he got someone else pregnant, married that person. I have no idea what his life is. That's like, hi, I'm here. Right, right. (laughs) The whole different ballgame.
2: Especially like, okay, so even if the birth parent is really interested in meeting, you know, me, you. Yes. That doesn't mean their kids are. (laughs) Right. You know, or maybe they think they are, and then they're like, wait a minute, I feel usurped, or you know, so it's the whole thing is very complex. And and as I said before, like there's no map for how to How you're supposed Mm -hmm. to do this, you know, we don't have any idea, any precedent set for like what is this person supposed to be to me? How am I supposed to Mm -hmm. behave with them? How close am I supposed to be? How how not close am I supposed to be? Like, what should I expect? What can I expect? What do I expect? You know, like what do I really want? Like it's a a whole lot of like a whole lot of self-study that has to happen, I think, in order to really get any kind of handle on it and then that's only your half right well and it's not even half it's like there's this whole constellation of people
1: it affects so many people Sarah and I have talked about that on the show it's the adoption I think most people don't know that they think oh it's these two people put together everybody's happy in the family there's really a big spreading thing that goes with it yeah network and a web and
2: yeah so like for example my half sister, who I call my sister because she's my only sister, <laughs> yes. otherwise I have brothers, she invited me to her wedding, and she even like asked me to write a poem and read it at her wedding, which was a huge honor, you know, I'm at the rehearsal,
0: rehearsal dinner. dinner,
2: yeah, and you know, having a drink at the bar after the rehearsal dinner and chatting with all these people I don't know and talking with my my half brother you know, just drinking a beer together or something. And his one of his buddies from college shows up and he's chatting with me. And so after like a half an hour, the guy says, oh, so how do you two know each other? <laughs> <laughs> and, and my half brother and I just look at each other and I was just like, why don't you handle this one? Because like,
0: you know, some things- You don't know are, what they you like, want you to say that. or not say, yeah.
2: Right, I'm like, that's not my story to tell. A lot of it
0: is my story to tell,
2: but he gets to decide how he wants to introduce me, you know? So he said, well, (laughs) this is my half sister. My mom had a baby when she was 18. (laughs) And the guy was tried to handle it really well. He's like, oh, well, nice to meet you, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then I pretty quickly excused myself and went off to bed or something. And uh, I heard as I trotted back down the hallway, are you serious, dude? I thought she was like your babysitter or something. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's just like, it's ongoing, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's probably not ever going to end. There's always going to be some new facet that has not been explored before.
0: Oh, for sure. Your brother was, was also adopted. How did he find his biological no. family? Is, how did he fare up in life?
2: He did not find his, his bio fam. He did not want to. And we talked about it a couple of times because I was pretty, you know, in the thick of all of that. And he's just like, I don't want to go looking for them. They don't want to know me. Why should I want to know them? That was his stance, like just yeah. very defensive. And he was gay. And so I think he had extra skin in the game in terms of like
1: acceptance
2: you know, being triply, triply rejected or, you know, so I was like, fair enough. You know, <laughs> I get it. I get the whole not wanting to be rejected again. It's terrifying. But he, because of that, he never had any health history and um, he actually died young. I mean, he oh, died I'm sorry. a few years ago when he was only 45 years old oh. of an apparent heart problem. Um, like a genetic. Well, who knows? Like, right. You know, but Mm. and it's just sort of like wow well that's more food for thought in terms of how important it is to allow people that kind of information Um,
1: well well and even if you don't want to find if you don't want to know people there's the whole thing you can't have any information in colorado it's the same thing you can't just know facts about your health about your right background like an intake form it's the most interesting thing
2: Right. And I don't know if you found that some of your non-identifying information was not even true, Yeah, but that's what happened to me. And I have no idea who did that sleight of hand, whether it was the social workers or just my mom, my birth mom just didn't know stuff and made stuff up or her dad deliberately made stuff up to keep people off the- I was going to say,
1: it might be someone protecting her, like Mm -hmm. not wanting her to be Mm -hmm. tracked down.
2: Yeah, totally. Because
1: she was so young.
2: Right. So even when we do get information, it's not necessarily true, but there's no way to know whether it is or not. So it's just. (laughs)
1: just I didn't, I ended up not having that information, but I had um, my mother, my mom who raised me, she knew things that they told her. Some turned out to be true. Some were completely Wacko. I think the social yeah. worker just wanted to like get, tell her things, you know. The social workers were very integral. I mean, it was the social work and the adoption agency, closed adoption, Colorado. Nobody knows anything else, you know. Right. And she tried to take notes, and from what she knew, some turned out okay, and then some was like, "That's just out of left field." None of that was real. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Well, apparently, it's kind of a thing. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of reading about adoption over the years, and. It seems to be a thing to to falsify information. Sometimes to keep people off the trail of whoever's involved, but sometimes because they wanted to make the adoptable child more uh, more adoptable. I was just going to say that you
0: know, <laughs> exaggerating the yes in or, my uh, I, not identifying it said you know athletic and the, 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 oh. you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what I
0: you mean, are. Well, no, about both of my biological uh, parents. I'm not so sure. Right. They
2: or they make it, or they, <laughs> you know, conversely, they would tell the adoptive parents and or the adopted kid, you know, oh, well, your mother was indigent and so she couldn't take care of you. And implying that she's just a bad person somehow. And oh, so yeah, that's a lot. Off, you know. When that's not true, there's lots and lots of documentation of that. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if you all know of Gabrielle Glazer's recently published book called American Baby.
1: No, oh, so I, I just talked about this. Yeah, I mentioned it, it was in, in
2: your my, article. Like yeah. Yes. article. Yeah, yes, saw that. It's really good, and she's not she's not directly you know involved in adoption. She's not part of the constellation, as we say, um, <laughs> but she's a a journalist. And so she did very good journalism, investigative journalism and reporting about about that trend of the the baby scoop in the in the 50s, especially, where they would they would tell the adopting parents what they thought they wanted to hear and they would falsify stuff to make their jobs more streamlined, I think.
1: (laughs) Everyone's happy at the end. Oh, this is happening. This is happening. This is who the baby is. It's very controlled. That may yeah. be our next book along with yours. Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> There's a lot of good books out there. Yes, and there all, are. Yeah. And I actually contacted Gabrielle Glazer as soon as I read it. Her book came out like a month or two before mine did. And I read it, you know, just voraciously. It's very, It's very well written and well researched. And I was like, thank you for writing this. You know, it's very good. And it provides so much context for people who are trying to tell their stories. Like me, you know, so I'm like, lucky for me, like your book came out right before mine is going to. And it provides all of the sort of sociopolitical context for this one person's story
1: that I'm telling. How did the Huffington Post article come about?
2: I was working with another writer trying to keep ourselves accountable in leading up to our book publication dates. So we had this little schedule that we like kept each other accountable to every day. She was like, hey, I got, a, I got a piece in the Huffington Post. And I'm like, that's great. You know, we were cheering each other on. And then uh, I said, hey, would you mind giving me <laughs> that editor's contact info? And she did. And she even like wrote to her for me and said like, hey, I'm going to send this woman your way. And I pitched her an article. Originally, it was about the Super Bowl commercial that Toyota did. I don't know if you saw that, but it was... Oh about this little girl who was adopted from Russia. I think she had some sort of condition that where she had to have her legs amputated almost immediately after she was adopted. And and then of course she became a Paralympic champion swimmer because all adoptees must be exceptional.
0: Right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say
2: that. (laughs) <laughs> we're either trash or we're exceptional, right? There's no, just like regular being a regular. I was trash. Bean. Louise
0: was exceptional. <laughs> That's
1: not true. <laughs> and yet you friends. Look at, Look at that. Yeah. So. Because um, we're both just pretty normal.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, we're all just humans. Right. So I was pretty incensed at that commercial and how it was just so blatantly perpetuating the trope of like the adoption savior myth that just drives me out of my mind and of of the exceptionalism myth too like well if you're you know you got to be special cuz you started out as trash or right whatever. yeah and i also could not figure out what in the heck it had to do with cars <laughs> so, anyway, so I pitched it to her and she got back to me right away, which I really was not expecting, but it turned out that she's an adoptive mom. Like uh-huh. I just lucked out. I totally lucked out. And she's like, yes, yes, yes. Yes. We need to get this out there. This whole myth of the savior is such crap. More people need to know about this. Please. Yes, please. You know, write the article. And so I just got really lucky in terms of like right place, right time. thing. Yeah. Kind of thing. but then like the ball got dropped a little bit. And so the, the part about the Super Bowl didn't make it into the piece because by that time it was like April and it, uh, it was topical, you know? Yeah.
1: Um, it was a good, it was a very good piece. And it, it drew my brother and I closer because, really? because my brother's not adopted and he's five years older and we don't really talk about me being adopted that much. It's not, it's just not really talked about. And he, I told him about the podcast Sarah and I were doing, and then he sent it to me. It was kind of his way of like, oh, I. he didn't really talk to me about the podcast much. He just kind of, uh-huh, that's what she's up to now. We've already owned an ice cream truck. Like he thinks Sarah and I are always up to something, <laughs> which we are. But he, then all of a sudden, like, he went home and he's a quiet guy. He's not the kind of guy to like engage in this big, you know he will never be on the show type of thing. And he sent me the article and said, I just read this article today that came out. It was excellent. It gave me a new perspective on you. Yay!"
2: And I was I'm like, really "That's that.
1: yeah, and I sent it to Sarah and we both were like, what a great art. Right. When we were talking about doing this, it was like, Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. It was a very That's big. Cool. Mm-hmm. So we were great. excited to meet you because it was a, a big collaboration on our, you yeah. know, you were kind of timely for us.
2: Yeah, because Ver- I, I quoted Nancy Ver-
1: Verrier,
0: or-, yes, Verrier yes. or Verrier. I don't, I don't know. Know. I, know. I have probably mispronounced it. I, I said That's Verrier a- but, or Verrier, I think I said.
1: Verrier. That's the yeah, first thing yeah. Sarah said is, look what the book is she's quoting. And we we're yeah. just starting this whole thing. And we're like, it was just on, uncanny.
2: Yeah. Well, that book was really important to me. I think I read it. When I was first starting to search and kind of having my awakening, like, oh yeah, this is actually kind of a big deal. It just resonated so deeply with me. And so then when I was looking to get blurbs for my book, oh my gosh, what a terrifying and intimidating thing to do. Right. So my <laughs> press was like, you Gotta get blurbs for your book. I'm like, ah, I just emailed her <laughs> and she said yes. Oh. And so Nancy Verrier or Verrier, we need to find that out. Nancy, sorry, blurbed my book for me.
0: That's fantastic. Was, yeah, we, just, we have talked about trying to get her on, on here. Well, she we, might do it. She's, you know, she's, she's. That would be like, at um, the end of the book to, at have, the end of her the book to have her uh, on. Yeah.
2: She, yeah, she was very responsive and she wrote me a really nice blurb. So that's
0: fantastic.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I had the book for a little bit and actually, um, Sarah's the reason I read it because I had it. I can't remember why I had it. Someone told me to get it. And then I didn't really want to know about, I'm like one of those people. I don't really want to know about it actually. And my biological family found me. I didn't find them. And then the book was there and Sarah was like into it. And she's, and we talked about doing a podcast. I'm like, I've got to read this book. And now I'm like, how did I not ever read this book? It's very important.
2: Yeah, it is, really is. but it is—it's gut wrenching. I mean, you know, you you kind of have to be
1: ready yeah. for it. You
2: have to be there for it, and it's not easy. You know? No, it's not easy. It's, it's not, not easy
1: to read. I wouldn't have been ready for it much earlier in my life. Like yeah. this is there's a reason it's now for us. Yeah,
2: yeah. Like you read it when you're ready. And we might be hitting you up for
0: her email, Andrea.
2: (laughs) Well, it's pretty easy to find, so I don't think she would feel too betrayed. I mean, I just totally cold cold called her, cold emailed her, whatever. I was just like, but one of my friends who I worked with ages ago emailed me after the Huffington Post piece and said, "Oh yeah, my mom gave me that book a while ago, and I never read it. Maybe I should." I'm like. It's not for everyone, you know, like some people probably will do better not knowing that
0: stuff. Yes. My mom is reading it, my adopted mom. And she's well, it's not as hard as I thought it would be. I'm like, okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think my mom has read that book. I did give her 20 things adopted kids wish their adoptive parents knew.
1: Do you know that book? I've heard of that book. I've never read that either, by the way.
2: Okay. Old. And it's for parents. It's for adoptive parents. Yeah. But I didn't I don't think it was published until I was an adult. And I gave yeah. my mom a cup, my adoptive mom, a copy of it a couple of years ago. And she's like, oh, that's good to know. <laughs> you know? <I> like, <laughs> wish
0: I'd known back then.
2: <laughs> yeah. I really wish that, you know, and that's that's pretty much yeah. maybe the thrust of that article is that people need to be aware of the fact that there are these considerations to be made when people are being adopted and it should be mandatory that they understand these things mm-hmm. that they're, they're made to read these things my parents were not made to read anything about no them. no none none we were our just, parents no we oh. were just
0: like here's here's the baby
2: yeah and i was complaining about it to somebody <laughs> recently and she's like there's a lot more literature out there now you can go out and find it yes. which is great but it's not still not part of the protocol. Like that people aren't required to know this stuff still.
1: <laughs> That's interesting. We talked yeah. about that. We wondered how it was now. I mm-hmm. think, yeah. And this was an adoptive parent that I was talking to. And I was just
2: like, are you serious? Like, Oh my God.
1: <laughs> my mom just recently passed in the thing that we did. Like she didn't have any of this or these books. And we watched Juno together. That was like a big, it was hard for my mom to even watch those movies. Like, I remember when we watched it and she's like that was she loved knowing the perspective of Juno giving up her baby. Mm-hmm. I still remember it. it was like 2 years before she passed we sat down and watched Juno together and it was a really hard thing actually which yeah, seems exactly. that because we didn't talk about these things. We talked about me being adopted and I always knew but certainly in my
0: experience whether or not this was what I picked up on or if this is real, but I always felt like, well, I can't do anything that might hurt my mom's feelings. Yes. So therefore we can't talk about this or it's too hard on her or, you know, yeah. always tossing aside what I felt because. Absolutely. That's, that's Me too. So common so. for adoptive people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like don't want to rock the boat.
2: Exactly. Who knows what might happen to you. <laughs>
1: Sarah Sarah and I are here rocking the boat. Well, I've been rocking
2: the boat for a while too. It's not comfortable. It's, you know, but it it just seems so important. So I'm really
1: glad that you all have decided to do this. We're in the boat with you now. Yeah. Yeah. So glad glad
0: that that you. Boat members. (laughs) Yeah. I thought, I'm so glad that that how this, the kismet of that article coming and and you said yes to being on the show. Thank you so oh, much.
2: My <laughs> pleasure. Gosh, yeah. Thanks for asking me. It was yeah. That that was a lot of kismet came from that article and getting onto podcast was one of my goals. So well, there, there you, you go. There.
0: And <laughs> congrats on your book.
1: Congratulations. You. Yeah, I
2: really, I'll be interested to hear what you think. I yeah, hope
0: you
1: it. it's. Um, I'm sure we will. It, we're gonna it, love it, and we're gonna post it and. Share
2: yeah. it. Yeah, I've gotten a lot of great <laughs> feedback from people, even people who aren't touched by adoption. That it's just a, it's a page turner.
1: All right, Yay. good for
2: you.
0: <laughs> Yay! Yay! All,
2: All right, a page turner.
0: Thank you so much, Andrea.
1: Andrea it was so great talking. Wonderful. To you.
2: You're very welcome. And thank you. It's been great to meet you. And I hope we can, you know, keep in touch. And Absolutely. We will keep in touch with what each other's doing. Oh, well, Absolutely. definitely.
0: Yes. Absolutely. Great. Thank well, you. Okay. All Take right. Care. Take care. <laughs> okay. right, Bye. Bye, Bye.
1: Thanks for listening today. And again, make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as adoption, the making of me podcast.
0: And once more, you can find our Patreon page by searching patreon.com adoption, colon, the making of me again, that's patreon.com
1: search adoption, colon, the making of me. And the most important thing, subscribe, share and review that helps us. Thanks everyone.